we often have to explain to folks that it doesn't mean you're blind and got a, a tin cup and uh, you're out on the street somewhere, uh-uh, you can be just as dressed up and the Lord could have prospered you just as well as anybody who he doesn't save. But being a beggar is spiritually being a beggar. Asking for mercy. That's something you don't have. You've got to have. And the Lord gives you that desire to ask. Nobody asks unless he gives them that desire. I tell you that. All right, Romans 9. We're going to start with verse 24. We've been in Romans 9 for a few weeks. And, of course, controversial chapter. It's so great. It's not controversial to us. Man, it's as clear as, clear as a noonday sun, what the Lord's talking about here. But a lot of folks don't like God having a free will. And that's what it's all about. Let's start with verse 24 and read down through 30. Ah, we're going to lose it if we don't get back up a little bit. Let's get up to start with verse 18. Got to start with verse 18 to get the idea here. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall a thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And what if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. Remember that last week? We had a good time with that one. Verse 24. Even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. As he saith also in, that's Hosea, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Now Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed. We had been as Sodom and had been made like unto Gomorrah. All right, that's as far as we're going to get today. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. Father, another wonderful portion of thy word, and we approaching, needing understanding, our hearts open, the under, eyes of our understandings to be open to great spiritual truths, especially that of our great God having a free will. And man being the recipient of mercy, which no one has a claim on. Ask thee to bless each one here today, each family represented. Thank you for our long-lost visitors coming to see us again. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay. Even us. Where does he say that? Verse 24. Even us, whom he hath called. Now, that's such an easy explanation as to who are the vessels of mercy. Not just Jews only, but Gentiles. 
and no matter Jew or Gentile, only those who are called by the Spirit and the Word of God. It's hard to reason out that the great nation of Israel, chosen of God, only proved themselves for the most part to be vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. How do you say that? Well, look at how many left Egypt, how many entered the promised land. Only the kids and a few. Mercy is sovereign and it's very individual. None of the Jews or Gentiles were vessels of mercy except those whom he had effectually called to himself. Now when something is written in God's word, it's going to stand. It's going to happen even if it hasn't already, it will. So the calling of Gentiles was not something unforeseen but was expressly foretold by the prophets. And so when we look at verse 25, we have a quotation from Hosea. I'm going to turn to Hosea 2.23 and read it to you. Hosea 2.23, if anybody can find it before me, fine. But Hosea 2.23 says this, And I will sow out her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her, that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which are were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Now, it seems that a hatred inbred by religion can blind the mind to the things that are in God's word. Jews hated Gentiles in spite of the word of God, including them in mercy somewhere down the line. God was saying that he would call those living as heathens to himself. Thou art my people. Now, we're not talking about savages in Africa. We are talking us. We're talking the people of America who love big cars and big churches and who live from one sport to another who see beer advertisements continually before them, who curse and drink and smoke and dance, who make laws to protect homosexuals. Well, I'm going to let the Bible tell you a little bit better than I can. Turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Instead of me trying to give you a a list of our type of people. I'm going to give it to you out of the Bible. Verse 9, chapter 6, verse Corinthians, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators. Wait a minute. Fornicators? Are they unrighteous? Really? Uh-huh. The Bible says they are. The unrighteous shall not obtain the kingdom of God. And their list of starts by fornicators. The perfect background for every story in TVV and magazine interest. No idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And that's what you've got to inherit. But look, here's good news. And such were some of you a year were washed. But you're sanctified and you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. All right, hold your place now in Romans, because we're going to keep coming back to Romans 9. 
And it says there that I'm going to call her beloved in verse 25, which was not beloved. Now, the Jewish nation was the spouse of God, but not a very good one, according to Ezekiel 16. Well, well let's see what kind of a spouse Ezekiel was. I mean, uh, Israel was of the Lord. Ezekiel 16, verse 8, 15, 16. All right, verse 8 says this. Now, when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee. And covered thy nakedness, yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Now that's kind of the beginning of the wedding there. But then we got verses 15 and 16. But thou didst trust in thine own beauty, and place the harlot because of thy renown, and pourest thou thy fornications out on everyone that passed by, as it was. And of thy garments thou didst take, and deckest the high places with divers colors, and place the harlot upon the things, like things shall not come, and neither shall it be. All right, so I said she wasn't a very good spouse, was she? But still, they claimed it. But when Christ should come, he was to include Gentiles as his bride, and call her beloved that had not been beloved. And am I ever glad for that? Are you ever glad for that? He includes Gentiles. Now when Paul quotes this, he's saying that the calling of these Gentile vessels of mercy was according to the purpose of him who worketh all things as after the counsel of his own will, according to the eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus. we got a couple of scriptures now to look at. Ephesians 1.11 Hold your face in the Romans. Ephesians 1.11 and, and whom also we have obtained inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. I stay in Ephesians but look at 3.11 3.11 According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now there's two times it said that same thing. You got the idea? God purposed it. Alright, now verse 26. And it shall come to pass that in a place where it was said unto them, You are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. They shall be children of the living God in opposition to the dead idols or gods of their own imagination which they used to worship. This proves that in their former state they were without God in the world and that really the scriptures hold out no hope for those Gentiles who are left uncalled by the gospel. Aren't you glad the Lord called you? What makes you to differ? There's nothing that makes me to differ. I needed mercy. I desperately needed mercy. And he gave it to me. Turn to Ephesians 2.12. We go to Ephesians for a lot of great scriptures because it's a wonderful book. But this just kind of brings us up to date on where we were as we started out in life with all the blessings of our parents and the neighbors and the family. You're going to be this kind. You're going to do that. Well, here's what we were. 
that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And one more scripture in Ephesians 4.18. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And we all know why that blindness is, because the God of this world makes sure that everybody born on the face of this earth is born in darkness. All right, now we go to verse 27. Isaiah also cried concerning Israel with something about them being like the sand of the sea. Now Paul goes from Hosea to Isaiah to quote another passage of scripture referring to the rejection of the great body of Israel and the election of a comparatively small number out of the chosen nation. Only a few are going to be saved. And Isaiah himself was talking about a promise made to Abraham. See, that's where the sands of the sea comes in. Look at Genesis 22:17. Genesis 22:17 will bring you up to date and where this business about the sand comes from. That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That was a promise made to Abraham. Now, God was making large waves. He was making large waves to Abraham out of but one drop of water. Abraham had struggled until he was a hundred years old to have this one son, Isaac. And God was telling him that from him and Isaac would be a multitude of people like the sand on the seashore. He also mentioned as numerous as the stars of heaven, but folks then had no idea how many stars there were, at least in comparison to the grains of sand on seashores. Ah, oh, but stars are up there. So what Paul means is that whatever confidence the Jews might place in the promise, taking it literally, yet those who were saved would be a small remnant whom God would take to himself while abounding all the rest, while abandoning all the rest to his avenging justice. Verse 28, you finish the work and cut it short in righteousness. The Lord's going to make a short work upon earth, okay? Now, judgment like death is slow in coming, but very quick in its accomplishment. In the history of Israel, their punishment for sin and ungodliness came swift and often. But God always spared a few. Has God changed now that we're living in modern times and Israel is gathered back into their land? No. Our God changes not. And I want you to see that that's scripture. That's not me. Malachi 3.6. Last book of the Old Testament. Practically the last page of the New Te Old Testament. Malachi 3.6. For I am the Lord. I change not. And therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. It means that he's a God of mercy. 
And the other scripture is Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. I know you know that one, but you just can't remember what it says. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I told you, our God changes not. And of course, the things written in his word that we have not, that have not come to pass, as yet will come to pass, including a future short work upon Israel. Now, if you want to see that future short work in just one or two verses, look at Matthew 24 and verse 21. Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Lord, why didn't you spend a little more time and explain that? Well, it's none of our business, I guess. That's as much as you need to know. Now here's an area of time that most people scoff at and naturally want to get rid of because it is not a pleasant thought. The world would like you to think, and Satan is the god of this world, that everything is getting better and man is going to work out a peace plan for all mankind. Are you kidding? Well, that time will never be until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back as a prince of peace. In the meantime, there will come upon the earth something worse than the ten plagues on Egypt, something worse than the flood, something worse than the Babylonian captivity, something worse than the Romans devastating Jerusalem, and words can't say it any better than our Lord described it for us in Matthew 24. We just read it. Now, instead of rejecting or disbelieving, or making fun of this warning, why wouldn't anyone in their right mind flee to the refuge offered in the scriptures and be sure that they're not here when this time of tribulation arrives? Look at Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. Hebrews 6, 18 through 20. We were speaking of a refuge, and it's exactly what the scriptures call the Lord Jesus Christ, a refuge. 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, where whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, no one has ever been closer to the time of the Great Tribulation than you and I. Right now, at this present time, nobody's ever been any closer. Only we can add a little luxury to that, Matthew 24. I want you to look at Matthew 24, 38 before we go on. I should have had just kept the place, but I didn't realize I was coming back there. Matthew 24, 28. I'm going to show you how the times 
are so similar. Matthew 24, 28. Or 38, 38. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And he said, yeah, it's going to be the same. It's going to be just like that for us. Only their eating, drinking, and marrying were kind of simple compared to what we have today. We can add a little luxury to it. Eating fast foods and excellent menus from choice restaurants. Drinking the choice of dark beer, light beer, great tasting beer, less filling beer, cold filtered beer that comes in cans, bottles, kegs, or in a glass at your local favorite pub. And people accustomed to living like that are still getting married and then married over and over again. Very few marriages last for outside of a home ruled by Christ. There are no rules or limits concerning loyalty, honesty, cleanliness, and good old-fashioned love for one another. Only the Bible teaches that. Now, our Lord spake with a knowledge of what was going to happen. And this warning of tribulation upon the whole earth is frightening, but not as frightening as what he says in Matthew 7, verse 21. Matthew 7 and verse 21. This is frightening. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, someone believed a lie. And the reason they believe the lie is they really had no love of the truth. That's the thing that gets them. Pretending without a love of the truth. Now look at 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 9. That's the reason God gives them a strong delusion. These folks had a strong delusion and yet this is coming upon the whole earth. 2 Thessalonians 2 9 through 13. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, you see, somebody's going to perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So any way you're going to be saved is to have a love of the truth. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they shouldn't believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not in the believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness so evidently these in Matthew 7 that thought they were doing such a great thing believed somebody's lie and you see the lie that they believed was how god saves a sinner the lord says he never knew them and not that he didn't know about them not that at all. Never 
got to know him as their substitute. And you get to know the Lord Jesus Christ at his feet. As the Holy Spirit convinces of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's where you get to know the Lord. And he gets so familiar with your voice and your heart throb, knocking, knocking, beating, kicking, asking, continually begging. He gets to know you. Oh, yeah, he knows you real well. Every person he saves, he knows very, very well. That's where you get to know him in Holy Spirit conviction. The Lord brings you down. That's where you get to know him very intimately. These others, he says, I never knew you. Oh, you made a decision. You did it yourself. That's interesting. It's there. It's in the Bible. Okay, verse 29. Romans 9, verse 29. And Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we'd been like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that's something. God in mercy saves some. In Sodom and Gomorrah, there were none but Lot and two daughters. No comeback for the cities of the plain. None whatsoever. God's judgment was final. The same with the flood. Only eight in the world survived. And then with the survivors, grace must reign, or they'd be doomed also because by nature they're sinners just like the rest. What about this Sodom and Gomorrah stuff? Well, turn to Second Peter 2. 2 Peter 2 and verse 6. We'll read 6 through 10. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes condemn them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. See, he just doesn't punish people immediately. He lets them go. They're reserved to the day of judgment. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, what made Lot to differ? Let me get my place back here in Romans. What made Lot to differ? Will it tell you the truth? I'd have never have known that he differed if it wasn't for this scripture telling us that Lot was just and righteous. I'd have never figured that one out. I'm sure he was vexed by what he saw and heard just like we are from day to day. Also notice that Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned like you and I would talk about World War I, World War II, Desert storm. Just matter of fact. You don't deny things just because they're in the Bible. This is the only real, true, truthful history book that you have. All other history books, they get fabricated. As a matter of fact, yet I never have seen it in a history book. And I have never heard it mentioned in school. I guess they're ashamed of it, afraid of it. Now, God hates the wickedness of unclean people and homosexuals 
are what Sodom and Gomorrah was all about. God destroyed one of the most fertile areas in the whole world because of their uncleanness and wholesale sin. In God's eyes, practicing homos have no rights and should be killed. Turn to Leviticus 18.22, and I want to let you see how God says it. Leviticus 18.22. And then stay in Leviticus. we got one more scripture to look at. 18.22 says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind, as with womankind, it is an abomination. And then Leviticus 20, verse 13, two pages to your right. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and they shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Is that clear? It's very clear to me. No, don't say that it's just for Israel. God's hatred of sin doesn't change because of nationality, modern times, or customs. There's no change in our God. We read it before. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just in case you think there's no more mention about homos or queers in the Bible, Paul brings you up to date in Romans 1, verse 24 through 28. Romans 1, 24 through 28. We had that study some months ago. Verse 24, Wherefore God gave up, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature and Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and that's the basis of all their depravity, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Okay, now what is amazing is that God doesn't destroy them immediately. But he lets them play out their filth and they think they're getting away with it. There was a good article in the paper the other day that said that one of the famous gay and lesbian magazines was shutting down, going out of business. And as I read into the article to find out why, the reason was the editor was in the hospital with AIDS. You know, that really broke my heart. Might as well close, though, on a high note. A queer can be saved out of his or her filthiness and rebellion. I'm sure there aren't many, but look again. We've been there at 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. I want you to see there's hope for anybody.
Don't shut anybody out because of what they are, because you could have been there. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers. And look what's right there. Nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind. Now that's both, those last two there, are your homosexuals and lesbians. But notice, being effeminate is no more a sickness than being a thief, a drunkard, or an adulterer. They're all listed together. Today they like to say, oh, they're sick, they and hey, come on. It's a preference and a developed habit of sin, just like the rest of the list, and they can be washed by the water of the word and by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. See verse 11, and such were some of you, but ye are washed. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that the most wonderful thing you ever did here is that no matter how low a life, how sinful a disposition, that if they can hear the gospel, and if the Holy Spirit takes that gospel home to a heart, they can be washed in the blood of the Lamb. They need forgiveness of sins, just like I need forgiveness of sins. Their sins are no greater than mine. Their sins are no greater than, or I mean no worse, than somebody who tries to keep the law and lives as good and clean as they possibly can. Sin is sin. It's got to be paid for. It's just that people, drinkers, homosexuals, prefer that life. It's their depraved heart that prefers it. They don't want to come out. They don't want to hear God's word. They don't want to be talked to. They want to have their own way. And so many times God lets them have their own way. Just like the editor. He ends up in a hospital with AIDS. My. Well, this isn't uh, the best note to close our scripture down. I mean, our lesson down, but I want to tell you, there's hope for anybody. The Lord Jesus Christ saves sinners. Whosoever will, may come. That's Bible. That's not something free willers made up. Whosoever will, may come. But it does say if they're thirsty, he'll quench their thirst. If they're hungry, he'll fill them. The Lord Jesus Christ says, Come unto me, all ye that labor. So if you labor, heavy laden, come unto him. If you're prospering in this life, if Satan has blessed you in this life and you're prospering and you're not heavy laden and you're not burdened, you'll never come. So count your blessings as being poor, broken-hearted, captive. That's kind Christ died for Anybody may come. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this simple Bible lesson, a wonderful portion of thy word, going back into the Old Testament and seeing God's hatred for sin, God's judgment upon willful sinners. Lord Jesus, we ask for mercy upon all of our people. Anybody that hears, anybody that reads thy word, Lord, bless them, convict them, save them. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. All right.